How drunk I am, how wet I'll be if I don't find the bathroom key. I found the key, but where's the door? Oops, it's too late, it's on the floor. Bet you didn't think I was going to start with that. No, I did not. Yeah, that's in honor of a fellow by the name of Wilder W. Crane Jr. Wild Man Crane. Crane was uh, my one of my professors at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, that was one of the songs he used to play on his piano. And we'd go over to his... Uh, house, which is uh, right around the corner from the university. And uh, he had one that I can't sing. Oh, she looks so fair in the midnight air, but we can't go any further than that. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> But what he would do is he would get a undergraduate and graduate students and he would invite the ones that he liked. And uh, I was one. I was very fortunate. And uh, what he would do, we'd sit around and talk about politics. Wilder Crane was born in 1928, died in 1985. He was a member of the Wisconsin Assembly. Dr. Crane is from uh, Chippewa Falls. Believe it or not, he originally was a lumberjack. One of the things we used to talk about, he used to talk about the importance of doing real work. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. And uh, so he became a professor after he uh, was in the Wisconsin Assembly assembly uh, and at the University of Wisconsin. He uh, got his master's degree from Harvard. He was the Ivy League man. He used to say things like that in a bucket of warm spit. <laughs> he was just a great guy. Yeah. So somebody definitely down to earth and understands how the world really works versus sitting on your magical special golden throne. So you wonder sometimes where I get what I get, where I got, and uh, that doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't make any difference. He was in the was the assembly back in 57 and 58, 58, the year I was born. He's a Republican, and one of the things he introduced was legislation to publish the names of juvenile offenders. He thought yeah. that, yeah, how you like that? And he uh, opposed a 1957 resolution honoring the great Senator Joseph McCarthy from Wisconsin. So he was a little bit of a radical. Very interesting. Yeah, most people have no clue that McCarthy was the senator from Wisconsin. It's like erased from memory. All they know is the memes from modern, uh, I would call it uh, low information perspectives. Yeah, only in Wisconsin could we elect uh, Bill Zeigler as the mayor of Milwaukee, who was a true socialist communist. Um, We had just a whole bunch of people that were, I mean, hardcore communists that uh, wound up becoming elected officials. And at the same time, you had um, Joseph McCarthy. And I brought this up. I I brought this up because you think there is a professor anywhere today in the world that would invite students over over their house, would play their baby grand piano, sing little dirty songs like she looks so fair in the midnight air with the wind blowing up her nighty. Again, I'm not going to go any further with that. And we just sat around and shot the breeze. You think? And oh, and by the way, I was 17 at the time. <laughs> and the beer and the uh, and the brandy flowed like crazy. Think that stuff would happen? I would imagine not, but I'm sure we have a few uh, examples some, somebody could point to. Well, I bring that up because I think it's really, really incredibly important that we just simply have open discussions. And uh, that's what we do here on the Paul Truesdale Podcast. It's been a while. When was the last time we did one? Two weeks ago? I don't recall. (laughs) So what do you say we get the uh, introduction out of the way? We get our little disclaimer and um, we'll be right back. Yeah. This is the Paul Truesdale Podcast due to the extensive holdings of our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial, and your hosts. You should expect that a conflict of interest exists with all companies discussed. And now, two Pauls in a pod. The Paul Truesdale Podcast.
Well, I'm Paul Truesdell, and you are somebody else. You're the uh, you're somebody else. Well, this is the uh, Paul Truesdell and somebody else podcast. Uh, ask, I have a question for you. Um, we have Republicans, including Lindsey Graham. That uh, since I started off with politics, and my my my, my good friend uh, Lindsey Graham says that Biden is intentional. I can't make this up. Raising gas prices as a way to facilitate the transition from um, fossil fuels to um, electric everything. What do you think? Uh, I mean. It's an, it's a hyperbolic statement, but I mean, you can see where somebody would come to that conclusion when I saw uh, in the news today, there was a several headlines with relation to, oh, the Biden administration is considering considering uh, supporting the reopening of stalled uh, gas refineries, oil refineries, and how they're putting together a plan because, you know, gas prices are, are too high. Really? Really? This, these are, this is the same government that told everybody accurately weeks ahead of time that no russia is going to invade ukraine and that's going to create a problem you you couldn't couldn't have done this in the first second third fourth week of march no very interesting according it's, to, it's just it's stupid i mean you know according to Lindsay, the lack of prioritization on stuff that actually matters is is ridiculous but you know to be fair i mean the 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 rank idiocy of the voting public allows this type of, of you know stuff to happen because if the public was actually mad about gas prices like where where are the protests? Where where are people mad, hollering, doing the things that you do to uh, you know uh, register your your dissatisfaction with the government and their policies? I mean, uh, people forget in the early part of this year. It seems like it's been multiple years by now, but that's how things seem to be this uh, this year. Um, but there's a little, there's a little country most people probably can't find on a map to save their life. But um, uh, Kazakhstan had a almost coup. Well, not coup, more, more like a color revolution, but an almost color revolution over the fact that their state-subsidized gas prices went from like one cent to two cents per gallon. Whoa! I'd be upset too. Aren't they located near Kangaroo in China? Yeah, they're a little country that Russia thought that they had control over and sent their little, I don't know, whatever, their little uh, pathetic NATO equivalent for Asia over there to go help them round up the coup, and the Kazakhstanis were like, nope, get out of here, please leave. We've got it under control. Thanks for your uh, very, very high level of concern. We don't want to be a bunch of a bunch of challenged puppets like Belarus has been turned into so they sent him packing of course you know for the for the russians that's probably a good thing that they didn't also have a have to have a military presence in kazakhstan because uh you know they pulled what 40 something like forty thousand troops out of syria to fight this war in ukraine you know they're scraping the very bottom of the bucket of what their global military capacity has available to them anyways so but it is funny because people forget you know to to at least westerners you know the tiny little increase of gas prices like that obviously it's a doubling so percentage-wise it's big but you know we're over here looking at we're looking down the barrel of a gun of 10 and 15 dollar a gallon gas prices because wait a minute nobody did you say 10 and 15 dollar a gallon gas prices yes and people don't think that that's possible but you know you look at the long tail that the entire petroleum industry has on it as far as getting anything going and stopping anything uh good luck i I don't i it's it's going to be a total disaster going forward um from that perspective it's just it's you know because the united states is going to have to carry we're going to have to carry europe on our back at the same time well ladies and gentlemen boys and girls one and all 
I gave you a very special word that made no sense. So if you know what that word was just a few minutes ago, send me an email to paul at paultruesdale.com and I'll give you a very special gift. You don't think you even caught it, did you? I'm pretty sure I didn't. Uh, You didn't catch it. So anyways, yeah, Lindsay said this is a conscious effort by the Biden administration to destroy fossil fuel production in the United States to get away from fossil fuels and you're living this experience. And, you know, it is true. I mean, look, you know, if they want to make rapid change, they got to be able to fill the void and you don't yeah well that's the problem with the conspiracy theory right like you know it, it i don't remember who said it whatever these quotes and and cliches roll around inside my head like they do everybody else but uh you know it's it's for me it will always be difficult to attribute to to malice what is easily explained by incompetence and what i see right now is a tremendous amount of incompetence from at least the outward facing leadership of the government and like you're saying you're exactly right you know okay you know you can you can you can lean on the old, uh, what is it, Rahm Emanuel, don't let a good crisis go to waste. But the problem is, is what you just said, you need to have an alternative prepared and ready to go. And what's the alternative? Oh, to just sit around and sit on your hands and hope and wait that something gets better in the near term. Like that's not a solution. There, there are solutions, they're just not going to be comfortable for certain people. And those solutions are um, open pipelines, open oil wells and open refineries and pump and refine more than we have ever before because our competition is on their back crying from a like a like a stuck pig right now but the downside of that is that they can't supply oil because nobody wants to pay for it in their currency and uh, all the other global global affairs related to that well you said so, that you said you that know, people are just sitting around right i mean that could be the, that could be the solution not do anything just sit around oh yes yes well we all know that you know if you want to if you want to win politically in the united states the best way to do it is to destroy the economy yeah that's the best way to, to get reelected guys well we let's, had a, let's just not do anything let's just sit on our hands and it'll all get better in time. Mm-hmm. That's always been the American way, right? Well, there it is possible because we're going to come back to it. We're not going to do it now, but it could be that the American way, this new American way of doing nothing and sitting on your hands could be explain what happened to ancient civilizations. We'll come back to that at the very end of this and tie it together. So if you want to know what might have happened to Bingo. ancient civilizations, hang in there. I saw in Las Vegas over Memorial Day, I don't think um, this group of people is going to allow uh, fossil fuels go away. You had a uh, freeway filled with hell's angels and um, <laughs> yeah, well they, uh, you had then, you had the Vargos, you had that biker gang. Well, they were coming back from a veterans cemetery run. Yes, the motorcycle gang was coming back from a veterans motorcycle run and hell's angels am- ambushed them. So they're making some arrests. Uh, Las Vegas is one of the highest murder rates uh, in the nation. Of course, you got Chicago. Well, I know. Can't believe it. The city built on organized crime has a high organized crime and murder rate. No. But hey, listen. You know they do have they do have or, organization. Um, they have a chapter president. They have a man that's in charge of club recruits. And uh, so, anyways, it happened in uh, Henderson. So the Henderson police are uh, are uh, licking their wounds while they're also uh, fixing the wounds of about seven to eight people that uh, got popped. So again, uh, anybody out there with a motorcycle gang? Uh, are you going to be riding electric uh, motorcycles? Just curious. What do you think? I will say I've seen some of these electric motorcycles and they are pretty wicked. They go really fast, really quick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to but the point that even professional motorcycle riders have a have a heck of a time actually staying on them given how quickly they accelerate. But when I was a kid, uh, we used to take baseball cards. I probably had a Mickey Mantle that would be worth several hundred thousand dollars right now, but we used to put them in our bicycle, you know, sprockets and, and the, um, what's it called? Not sprockets. Um, hmm. I have absolutely 
absolutely no idea what it's called. Well, you know, I'm talking about the little metal things ahead. Yeah, I've lost it right now. Anyways. Stems. Yeah, we'll call it that. And of course, we made our own engine noises. So will these will these electric crotch rockets, because you can't, they're not gas rockets, are these electric crotch rockets that are going to put uh, well, little some cards? Of these, <laughs> noise. Well, some of these electric ones literally are crotch rockets. Like you pull the throttle and it's going as fast as a rocket almost. Like some of these guys, they, they get them to play around with and they film videos like, oh, we're going to, we're going to full throttle the thing and it literally just it races beyond their ability to hang on it yeah i see that like, the, yeah dude is the dude is on the asphalt yeah exactly. on his ass and <laughs> or more typically on his face but yeah yeah true hey johnny depp we uh, uh you uh, have a couple of things t- t- uh, tell everybody what you've been doing uh, we we had a few drinks and we watched something on youtube what do we watch yeah we watched uh some clips and some compilations of uh clips from the depp trial since it has uh, come to a close um i i had no interest in following this you know celebrity bs and you know just thought it was kind of dumb and then what was it the week before last or whatever i saw a clip on it and somebody had been talking about it and i was like okay well i'll, I'll entertain this a little bit this actually seems pretty interesting and the more you dig into it the more fascinating it was to me a lot of people seem to watch these from a pure just kind of uh celebrity awe factor for me it was actually you know a little bit more nuanced than that because for me it was you know typically your televised trials are things that are simple right they're just criminal stuff i mean some of it can be a little sophisticated and you know nothing's nothing simple but you know okay you got a murder trial or you got an assault you know whatever whatever it is right self-defense trials are, are of course been popular but this one is really interesting because of the circumstances of the trial itself and how it played out basically everything was allowed to come into trial i mean you know the the claim in, in and of itself is just a, a simple defamation case apparently the, not to the jury they're still out two days they can't figure this thing out yeah there's we'll, we'll get to that but um it's interesting because the you know if it's a, it's a it could have been a simple defamation case right but then what happens the uh, a defamation case between two divorced people right pretty simple should be pretty it should be a pretty simple case to try you either said something that wasn't true and you defamed somebody or you said something that was true and it's not defamation but you violated the the uh what is it called the um i just lost the phrase for it but anyways the clause in the um in the divorce agreement non-disclosure where, yeah i guess non-disclosure and i guess uh they had some language in there about not saying you know uh, derogatory things about each other which is real common when you have anybody who is a, any kind of celebrity status so for for depp obviously you know it's kind of a slam dunk you know he can win he can win or lose on either one of those and he wins right, right. and he can get his story out there about you know like either this person can't follow their agreements or if he's not an abuser which in my opinion he is not from everything i've seen he then is able to air out his dirty laundry and show that this person is a liar and is uh just vindictive right just kind of simple you know pretty simple one way or the other either way it's a i win i lose i lose i win type situation um anyway or you know you you get my point so instead what is what is uh herds people do his uh, his ex-wife uh her attorneys on her behalf file a counterclaim oh he's defaming me and he's causing all this reputational harm and stuff so now you just okay now it's no longer limited to this this is now because she doesn't have any specific claims well, i guess she does have a specific claim but it's, it's vague and weird and goes back a lot of years and it's it drags everything about their entire relationship into court and then because there's claims 
claims on damages and reputational harm and, and career harm on the careers, what else then? Oh, we get, we get to drag in all their finances and all their movie roles and everybody that's ever worked with them and every little nook and cranny. So, you know, the reality and is... And the fact that she's recording him without his knowledge in his house and somebody did duty in the bed, like that oh, never happens. Oh, there's so many things. But but so from, from a, you know, a real macro perspective, you know, you've got what? You've got a, just a basic kind of a, a free speech case going on, right? You know, yeah. am I allowed to say something or not? Um, you have contract law at play having to do with, you know, divorce, a divorce settlement, a divorce agreement. You read that very well. Yes. Um, then you've got, you've got a psychology angle because both of them are claiming the other one has mental problems. Yes. You read that very well. Um, <laughs> okay. I yeah. thought he was so great at that. And then, then the other thing you've got is you've got a lot of, uh, entertainment law going on. And, and then of course the contract law that goes into that because that crap gets drug in as well. So, you know, you get a full spectrum of really kind of anything that will ever be other than some weird niche area of like corporate law. You can basically get all of the normal realms of, of legal activity that go on. Either somebody's nuts, somebody's a criminal, somebody is a wife beater, somebody is, uh, uh, you know, you know, who's paying who, you know, it's, it's, it's actually pretty amazing. So there's, there's so many little, uh, there's so many details involved, you know, I guess, uh, what the trial went on for six weeks, I guess the deliberations started the last day of, uh, Friday of, of week six. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got a lot of information granted. I only followed it for a week and even then I didn't really follow it as closely as some people do. It's a fantastic thing. I think in hindsight that you can go through once we find the outcome of it. Oh, it's going to be a great, if you, if you're, if you're a law school student and you're looking for a project to do, take that thing and just outline, outline it. And the number of insane, uh, how do I word this properly? The, the number of insane comments, objections, and strategy by the defense is mind-boggling. Oh, it's the case. What was the name been... of that old woman that was representing him? I'm being mean. Uh, her. Uh, what was her name? Elaine. Elaine. I, I'm just being mean about it because... Well, Elaine is a crazy cat lady. I mean... Yes, yeah, she is. Everybody on the internet knows it. They've, it's, uh, she just is. She's, she's a lunatic. Um, as far as anybody can tell, this, despite being looking like she's in her 50s, she is acting as if she's, you know, one or two years out of law school and, you know, this is her first big trial. She she looks like Mom's Mabley, but the, the white version of Mom's Mabley that graduated to law school at age 80 going blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's wild. Wow. But yeah, you're right. I mean, because it is televised and because um, it's such a complex case with so many angles, even though the actual, uh, the actual, you know, what the actual litigation is about is actually pretty simple. Um, it, it is, a, it, it will be a study for modern, you know, law students and people to go through because a good example is like, you know, the, uh, what is it? The defense, you know, given their case that I, I thought the guy, the primary attorney, I think the guy's name is Rottenborn. He, you know, ter- terrible, <laughs> terrible, last, terrible name for an attorney. Um, but I thought he did a pretty good job at, at his closing, but he had to hand it off to the, to Elaine, the crazy cat lady. And the best description I heard about it was, it was as if she just like threw a bunch of spaghetti against the wall. It was like, it was the scene from the, the only conclusion you can come to. We talked about this last night was, you know, the only conclusion you could have come to is, is the guy, uh, the, uh, the guy in Billy Madison at the end where he where he tells him that, you know, nothing you said was, was comprehensible and we're all dumber for listening to him. I mean, that, that is the most perfect answer to what she just rambled on about. I mean, you know, in your closing argument, when you're doing a countersuit against somebody or a counterclaim against somebody for a hundred million dollars, when you and your closing ramble on about how, oh, you know, we, a hundred million obviously is a ridiculous claim. You know, basically please give us $300,000. I was like, what? 
What was the name of that of that female attorney again? What's her first name? Elaine. Elaine. So I I, really I, f- I can't remember her name, but I just have it. I, I have it um, linked in my little relational database called my brain. A uh, with with Seinfeld, and if I can't remember what her name is, my like, uh, Seinfeld. Yep. Okay, Elaine. Well, that's good because Elaine's a comedian on Seinfeld, and I refer to Mom's Mabley. M A B L E Y. Her real name is Loretta Mary Atkin. She was born in 1894. She died in 1975, and she went by the name of uh, Mom's Mabley. She's a stand-up comedian, funny as all Billy Hill. She was a veteran of what's known as the, get a load of this, it's called the Chitlin Circuit. Now, the Chitlin Circuit was a group of comedians and vaudevillians that did the what was called the African-American Vaudeville Circuit. There was actually a thing back in the day. People don't ever talk about oh, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, we can't talk about that. But anyways, I can. I don't care if you don't like it. She appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. I remember seeing her on that. She was on the Smothers Brothers Show. She was from White Plains, New York. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. If you get a chance, there is some really good stuff there. Um, she was born in uh, North Carolina. Mom's Mabley. And uh, so Elaine reminded me of Mom. We were sitting there. I said, man, she reminds me of Mom Mabley because that woman was flat-ass funny. Well, this woman is not. <laughs> She's not funny. Wasn't it supposed to be funny? No, no. She was supposed to put on a legal defense. She oh. did a very poor job at it. But she did good at comedy, that's for sure. Yeah, the, I think the best commentary I saw anybody say is she, she presents herself as someone who probably has a tremendous amount of deposition experience and very little actual trial experience. Primarily, I guess, based on the way she asks her questions, lots of uh, tongue twisters and mind benders to get people to trip up, which is not what you want in a courtroom. You want in the courtroom, you want people to, you want to ask very simple questions because, you know, the assumption is the jury and the people that are watching in a gallery and even the judge at times are dumb and they actually don't really give a hoot about what this lawsuit is, especially when it's two rich people screaming at each other. Um, you know, when it's two rich, you know, as, as I heard somebody put it, two rich assholes yelling at each other about, uh, no, you live on a private island and no, you live in a penthouse and all of our, our luxury vacations together. Normal people can't relate to that, especially when you've taken them, them away from their livelihoods for $30 a day. I, I mean, I, I've, I've said, you know, I've, you know, been to jury duty and I've, you know, done enough of that crap now that I've had all the ends of the, of this, of the spectrum for experience. And, you know, the reality is, is if I was in that case, I would have bullied my way to be the foreman. And I, once we got to the end of that extremely excruciating six weeks, I would have said, Hey guys, these jury instructions are non-binding. We are not forced to use them. So here's what we're going to do. And I'll tear them in front of everybody. I don't care about these. And this is a waste of our time. We're not going to go through 38 pages of jury instructions. And I'd take a poll. What does everybody think? Okay. Everybody agrees on this? Okay. A guy in the corner who is uh, being a little too, uh, following the rules a little too much, we're going to bully you until you agree. And then on Friday, we're going home or we're going to, you know. And that's the way jury trials work when there's there's at least one person like you or I. And of course, I'll never be in a jury, but. But I mean, that's what I would have done because I mean, you know, these people have bills. These people have jobs. These people have things to do. They have a life. And, you know, they've been doing this crap for six weeks. I I wouldn't entertain these ridiculous instructions. It is a waste of everybody's time. You know, my personal opinion is if I was there, I would uh, deny the counterclaim rule or, uh, you know, decide in favor of, of debt. And then the question then becomes, what are damages? Well, $1 is just insulting for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, but, you know, for given the circumstances and, and in my opinion, what a disgusting human being his ex-wife is, um, I would I would uh, award, hmm, they have it all in evidence. So let's say the divorce settlement minus $1. How about that? That seems fair to me. Well, Johnny Depp uh, performed to a sold-out crowd 
followed alongside a fellow by the name of Jeff Beck at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And for three nights in a row, it has since the uh, since the trial ended, it's been a complete sellout. Uh, he was there with his ex-girlfriend, Kate Moss, who uh, apparently, uh, you know more about this than I do, but uh, she was called as a rebuttal witness. And um, yeah, apparently he got a standing ovation, Hollywood style, and uh, they were chanting, we love you, Johnny. We love you, Johnny. I think that's uh, not too bad of a, uh, uh, I guess that kind of, that shows, well, it's, it's a data point, I guess. Uh, Amber probably isn't going to get those kind of accolades from anybody, except for... Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. But, I mean, you know, so, so the, the situation with Kate Moss is interesting. He dated her in the 90s, and, you know, there's like no negative press about any of it. It was just a, you know, whatever. Whatever happened, happened. Nobody said anything mean or bad about each other, as far as I'm aware. But for some reason, uh, Amber Heard thought it was very important to tell everybody that uh, Johnny had pushed Kate Moss down the stairs at a hotel in um, <laughs> Jamaica, I think. I think it was Jamaica. Bahamas, Jamaica, something like that. And so this claim was made, you know, total hearsay, absolutely nuts, but, you know, whatever. So they brought her as a, uh, uh, on rebuttal, they brought her as a, as a witness, and she testified very narrowly to that specific incident uh, by video chat or whatever. And she basically said no. Like, it was raining. Uh, he left the hotel room before she did. He was down in, like, the lobby or whatever. There was a lot of uh, rain that was all over the main stairwell or whatever for whatever reason. And she didn't notice it, and she slipped and fell on her back when she was walking down the stairs. He heard her shout in pain or whatever, went and found her laying on the stairs, took her up, back up to the hotel room, and then called a doctor. That was, was it. So it's like, wow, that's a, that's a big difference between getting pushed down a stairs. You know, once upon a time, people used to fear perjury. Yeah, not anymore. As far as I can tell, nobody gets prosecuted for perjury in civil trials or, or in even, even in criminal trials that aren't of any substance anymore. Like, judges have gotten really lax with that kind of stuff. I will say one of the things I was impressed with what a little I saw of it is uh, he dressed beautifully. I thought he was unbelievably well-dressed in every single situation. Yeah, I agree with that. I think she dressed pretty well, but the problem is, is like, she just doesn't, she didn't, she couldn't dress for the occasion. She's obviously one of these people that just, she does whatever the hell she wants to do and nobody around her can wrangle her, you know, opinions or whatever without probably, you know, getting vodka bottles and well, most people have a hairstyle like that. You know, yeah. most people, she had every day it was different. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, well, if you look at like any, she, where was the stylist or somebody that could have just told her, Hey, where, where like a prof professional legal attire? Like it's not hard. It's easy. It's pretty inexpensive. You don't have to go and get your hair redone every day. You don't have to go and get weird designer jackets and outfits and things that really are just like, sure. Some of it looks fairly nice and interesting, but it just doesn't really fit the occasion. It's, it's a courtroom. You're supposed to be innocuous, but professional. Well, I have an awful lot of uh, courtroom experience, both criminal and civil. Uh, civil in terms of being a uh, witness and uh, an expert witness, rather, for uh, plaintiffs in uh, litigation for, uh, oh, insurance and securities, fraud and suitability and that sort of thing. But in a prior life, I used to do a lot of criminal or uh, arrests that I made and investigations I had. And um, I think this would be a good time to uh, drop a little quick story. And one of the things I had, as you well know, I've told you before, I had my deposition uniform. Sure. Yeah. So what's a deposition uniform? You think very? You think any many cops today even know what that's about? Uh, well, find me a cop that cares enough about their cases to put any thought into the deposition. Side note: I saw there's a because I because. 
because I found a couple of people that have been following this trial on YouTube, doing live streams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Found a whole community of people that are like just attorneys who upload videos about legal stuff. Some of it was kind of interesting, but this one guy, uh, he, I think his his name is literally the DUI guy. But anyways, he's like Kentucky, I think, uh, attorney in Kentucky, and he does all kinds of stuff. But the one thing he does a lot of is his DUI cases, and he uploads after ca- trials are done. He uploads it gets a gets the in in courthouse video and then uploads the whole thing really so i watched a couple of them because they have the entire like he'll do an entire you know direct and cross and redirect of like a police officer and the 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 pivotal moments in some of his cases Mm -hmm. and some of them were recent like like within three or four months which is which is interesting um but anyways and you know it's all mic'd properly and everything even though it's just like a normal like county or or local you know trial it's not you you gotta you gotta share that with me that's cool um but the point mentioning this is that he there was this uh dui case in this one one video i watched and the, the guy i think was a kentucky state trooper or something and he he just he just destroyed him like he he humiliated this guy and, and the case fell apart because of it and they ended up dismissing the charges well yeah. i can i can so so my point is, is like you know if people who are you know troopers usually a little bit higher stature type people this guy had a lot of credentials but he just he was not schooled on the facts enough that the guy was able to just whittle his case down into nothing yeah i had very few cases that ever went what i call with the number of the amount of arrests and the activity it was very very low oh yeah well, yeah so one of the things i had is i had a deposition uniform and i never wore it on the street it was it was absolutely starched stiff it was it was fit it was tailored uh it accentuated my chest made my waist look nice and small um i had everything was spit polished on this thing and one of the things i had was uh those mirrored aviator glasses sunglasses and i wore those throughout the entire deposition and so um if you ask ask me a question as if you're the uh, a defense attorney and remember we're in deposition now okay um and there's no cameras back in the day oh yeah yeah yeah, this is just a court report stenographer typing everything down yeah so i don't know uh what at what point in time did you decide to make the traffic stop i made the traffic stop (laughs) at nine o'clock at night let's see a little overly aggressive oh yeah overly aggressive insane and you know i wanted overtime you know so take this thing to court and it was so much fun to watch these guys. They knew that they got a loon. I mean, you're going to go to court and this guy is going to be a complete loon. I'm going to look great in front of my client, you oh, know. Yeah. And it was always the white glove attorneys that, you know, you, they didn't have a lot of what I call street experience. And, and sure. you know, uh, so I could go on for hours on that. But you, you profiled them and I would just screw with them something fierce. I'd, I'd have a ball. And then they would, you know, you would say something like, uh, why are you so angry? I'm not angry at all. You know, but I'm not angry at all. And <laughs> just so you just you, you had these guys and then of course I had my other uniform and the uniform I showed up in court was my three-piece suit my white shirt my red or blue tie I never wore that anywhere else didn't go to church nothing that was that was my court attire sure and yeah. uh, I had a tie for each day if I needed I had it all set up and uh, I made sure I was out of sight and uh, but on top of mind of uh, Rocco the uh, attorney from uh, you know Dewey Cheatham and how screwing their client with uh, major bills and I can walking in. I had one case in Tampa on uh, the old courthouse and the guy objected. So I walked in the door and, said, and I sworn in before I sat down. I said, your honor, I object. This is not the man I <laughs> did the deposition on. And it, yeah. And it was uh, the late uh, Harry Lee Coe. And he, he, he chuckled. He looked at me and he grinned and he said, you got Truesdale. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but I will say this. I did have a lot of fun. I, and a lot of the guys down there from back in the days, I'd make the phone calls and say, hey, I got a trial coming up and who is it? And I'd say who it is. Man, I packed the courthouse. The guys love it. I, I had fun doing it. But see, but here's the thing. You drill for skill. You go back and you look at a scene. You 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 memorize everything you can possibly memorize in the thing. Yeah, you, you go you, back to your yeah. go back to your notes. You review all the relevant details to your case, and you make sure you have a good memory as to what happens, so that you don't get tripped up by basic 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 stuff. So when you were watching the the Depp trial, yeah, the people who didn't use notes that were that guy from TMZ, very very credible. Well, yeah, there there are several people like that throughout it, especially the expert witnesses. Who there were a few expert witnesses who sat there and were visibly like confused and one woman immediately started referencing her notes and she's at the psychiatrist yes. or something uh, like that it's just embarrassing one who was practicing for 15 years but got her no. license 10 years oh it wasn't there no, no one no she's actually a real expert she was okay no. i got them confused no there's another one who's a total loon and they told her it was it was very weird i won't go into it but anyways and then you have other people who actually knew their stuff like there was this one guy he's a uh entertainment law guy in particular he focused his, his focus was on uh contracts that's pretty much all he did was was with uh, compensation contracts and this guy has like 47 years of experience and he just you know you know you could ask him any question about anything and he'd just he'd just stare at you like no it doesn't work that way no nah no nah, warner brothers doesn't work that way they would never do this and he's like you know talks about i'm surprised they've mentioned that normally they wouldn't they wouldn't even mention that in the deposition unless they're forced to because that goes to how they make decisions on x y and z and, did he act a little bored uh he wasn't bored but he was obviously like you know he just he just knew his he just knew his stuff forward and backward. Like he just, you know, yeah, he, he was more disgusted with probably, you know, witnessing people, attorneys who have had years to prepare for, you know, a, a lawsuit and he still knew more than them Yeah, I'll be, about this specific case. It's just, you know, I guess the other thing is, you know, when you go to the closing arguments, you know, the defense was, was, was decent. And then the other half was atrocious, but from some of the post uh, closing analysis, I mean, and, I, and this is, this is an observation I had while I was watching it too, is even Depp's people, you know, they read from notes and they had papers at their closing. They had a little podium and they had their little notes as they were talking to the jury. How, how do you how do you not have, why, why can't you speak contemporaneously off the top of your head about a trial that you've been preparing for for years? Let me ask you a question. Give me a couple weeks and I could give a pretty close to on the spot oration as to the facts of the case just because I think it's interesting. These This is this is their job. They're getting paid, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars an hour per person for years to prepare for this and you need notes and these are some of the best attorneys in the country supposedly yeah so it's I just do. kind of embarrassing from that perspective because where where's the people that can give this you know the johnny cochran courtroom oration that actually captivates people because these people didn't lack any emotion because these people didn't lack emotion right i mean depp's attorneys like they know him they know he this is all these accusations are bs and, and they just they know him because they've been with him for a long time oh yeah I mean, he has a team yeah he has a team of attorneys that have been with him for since his divorce proceedings what four or five years ago and you know the reality is is a lot of stuff that could not or didn't or what weren't allowed to come into evidence in this trial these people have seen behind the scenes they've seen how these people you know act behind closed doors when they're not in front of cameras and i'm sure you know the guy seems like you know depth whether you like his movies or not he seems like he's a pretty normal guy at the end of the day i don't do drugs but i would love to sit down and have a beer with the guy and shoot the breeze he would be i think absolutely hilarious yeah he seems he seems like a normal guy 
I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, seem unrelatable when they're in that kind of position in life, and they present themselves as totally unrelatable weirdos. This guy just seems like, you know, he's just down to have a good time. Where, you know, imagine the stuff that didn't or couldn't come out at trial. If we're finding out that, you know, we've got all this crazy stuff going on, all these wacky accusations, you can imagine that's 10 times worse behind the scenes. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that Johnny Depp has an inner monologue. He can carry on a conversation in his own mind and he's figuring things yeah, out. I'd, I'd, I'd guarantee that, that's for sure. And how many times, not to sound uh, self-serving, but I am, how many times have you seen me? I'm walking up and down the halls, I'm outside, and what am I doing? I'm rehearsing and talking all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And when I was a cop, one of the things I used to do, I used to practice threatening people. Of course, nowadays you can't do that because everybody's got a camera and everything's I mean, on. you can, it just has to be, you know, under the right circumstances. Yeah, my philosophy, yeah. De-escalate. And yeah, my philosophy. and stuff. Yeah, that's a bunch of crap. My philosophy was I'd rather scare the holy hell out of somebody than have to put hands on them. Uh, it, it always was, I, I, I really do believe in that. And just like I believe in free speech, this is why I said in the very beginning, uh, how drunk I am, how wet I'll be, we can't sure. sing songs the way we should. Because you, you can't have those conversations with professors anymore. And one of the things I used to say to people, and it was funny, it, oftentimes with people from New York and New Jersey, they come down to Tampa, they're drunk, they get a fight, you know, and they're, you know. and, and Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you get the scene. Yeah, here yeah. comes the, uh, the, I would call the New York elitism. Yeah. They, they act like somehow there's like a magical line you pass and then everybody's retarded or has like mental issues. Yeah, well, anything south of Mason Dixon. And so we come up and, you know, you, you got to go to jail because you beat the hell out of your girlfriend. And it's like, yeah, you and whose army? And then it was always, again, I'm just, I haven't done this for years, but dude, you realize you're in the South where we have throw down guns. And so I'm going to reach my, my hand, pull your heart out, show it to you, then shove it up your anus. I'm the one your mother warned you about. I haven't killed anybody in the last two weeks. And I would like to kill a New Yorker, you mofo, SOB, turn around, get your hands behind your back because I'm about to go fucking nuts. And you know what? What did most people do? Oh man, you're crazy. I, I didn't have to put hands on them other than cuff them. Yeah. Well, well anyway, every once in a while, then you had the guy who, no matter what you did, you're going to fight soon. And that's why you learn to fight. It is what it is, what it is. By the way, I have a new business for us. It's called Kayaker Disclaimers. This is a whipsaw change in direction. Yes, I th- it, was, it was not a good segue, but w- w- kay- kayakers in Nevada, since we were talking earlier about sure. the, the Hells Angels. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, a bunch of kayakers flipped their uh, kayak and they hung onto the rocks for a prolonged period of time. They got saved. They were in uh, Lake Tahoe. So I'm thinking, you know, litigation, Johnny Depp, all his lawyers kind of, sure. we probably can make some money if we can copyright the massive, like, you know, ladder type disclaimer for kayaks. Because I, I think we need to find these guys and, and sign them up to uh, sue, um, I don't know, the rocks and that they were oh, clinging yeah. on. Yeah. Well, the rocks but, do have a big bank account. So, yeah. Well, I mean, who owns the rocks? I don't know. Somebody. Well, the sure. government owns it. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm I mean, the government for having, yeah. Sure. Sharp rocks. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Just like we need to also um, find a way to capitalize on the mysterious pulse. That's been detected in the sky. It's oh coming, boy. yes, coming 1,300 light years away from Earth. They've spotted a uh, something going... Whatever okay. it is, yeah. What's the frequency? What's the? Oh, it's it's according to the conversation. It's the pulse of the Milky Way, and it's it, we've we're being visited. I don't know if it's okay. by from Vega, but uh, yeah, it's uh, apparently it's repeating every seventy six seconds. No, okay. seventeen seventy six. Every seventy six seconds, it's repeating itself. Do you think and maybe? Why is this relevant to anything going on in the world? I just thought it was. Uh, it's just distraction of the week. Yeah, it's a, but but wait a it's minute. Space trying to remind everybody. 
it exists. Please well, talk wait about a space. What is the new big boogie man that we've got to start fighting? I don't know. Would it be aliens? Uh, I think that's taking a back seat to the ambition of global communism. But you know, they'll get back around to it one of these days. Yeah. Well, tell everybody your theory on that because I actually think it's brilliant. You've talked about it a little bit in the past about how you know it's you've always got to have a boogeyman. You've always oh, yeah. got to have something. And uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a there's a I don't I don't think it was written down or anything, and it's just a it's a rumor. But you know, whatever. That uh, Werner von Braun's secretary, I think that was the source of it. I recall. It, you know, again, it's hearsay. Whatever. There's no proof of any of this. But she said that he said. So again, definitely hearsay. Um, that you know, after you know, the Cold War ended. If if it ended amicably, then you know there would always be a boogeyman, and you know the, the after that would be what a uh, war on you know I think it was you know rogue nations, and then terrorism. And then after that, it would be space or something, something along those lines. And, and you know, from from a thinking man's perspective, I mean, Captain Obvious, like you have to have something to rally the people to get them behind whatever the great challenge of the era is, whatever you know, good, bad, God, yeah. devil. You gotta always have that stuff. But you know, and a lot of people think of that as like, oh, well, that means that you know, the Cold War and you know, the threat of communism is fake. And you know, you see that in a lot of like, uh, I would say, little, let's say, skeptical uh, communities because you know. There's a portion of the population that thinks everything is fake or engineered or uh, manufactured. Um, and then, of course, then those people are used to show that there's no such thing as a conspiracy at all because, you know, everything they've ever said is fake. So, therefore, the real conspiracy when it comes along, when there is a, I don't know, some type of devious plot by somebody, oh, that's organic too. <laughs> it's such a joke. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it makes sense. I mean, you know, from, from a, you know, political management kind of uh, management of the masses perspective like yeah you need to have a boogeyman and you know you those are kind of broad spectrum boxes that you can kind of fit anything into you know you back in the day you could fit a lot of stuff into the communism box and fast forward a few years and you've got rogue nations who aren't following the the world the world standards and the world order well yeah you can throw you know basically anybody who doesn't agree into that box and terrorism you can throw pretty much anything in the previous two categories into that box and then space and that's when it starts to get a little sketchy because then you start getting into questions of proof. I can prove that, you know, somebody decided to put on a suicide vest and blow themselves up. I can't exactly prove that, uh, what the, the the orb noise from the sky means. My man, my and then man. And also then the very confusing part is how does the threat of space and aliens and things like that, if we're going to be under attack like it's Independence Day, um, you know, just hypothetically, how do the flat earthers respond to that? Because you've mm. got some really hilarious people. I, I think they're some of the most entertaining people on the planet the flat earthers ladies and gentlemen boys and girls one and all flat earthers are people who actually believe that the earth is flat flat yep very very flat we're in some kind of Perfectly a bio flat. biodome thing or something like that. i there's so many weird oddities to their their thing you know they think uh they think the earth is flat they think us uh, you know there's like a, there's like a, the thing is like none of them agree on anything either which makes it even funnier um there's a guy i can't remember the camera's youtube channel it's like i don't know this is tall lanky guy he's got kind of uh, crazy frizzy hair and uh, he does these like fake news reporter interviews he used to have a funny YouTube channel and then I think he got taken advantage of by somebody anyways long story uh, but anyways he has this thing called like Network 9 News or something like that Some, something silly like that okay. where he's pretending to be like a local news reporter and he just goes around to crazy stuff and he just interviews people like he went to a QAnon MAGA rally and interviewed those people and oh my god like the levels of of 
cult worship that were going on there was scary. Um, you know, they, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, like he went to Burning Man, I think, and interviewed some people there. And it was just like, no, yikes. And obviously, like, he's doing it as a man on the street type thing. So, you know, you're getting the craziest of weirdos <laughs> that go to these things. Because, you know, you get a man on the street interview that, like, understands what's going on in the world and answers rationally. Are they going to use that tape? No, they're going to hit delete and they're going to go find the nut job. Um, but it is quite funny. So anyways, this guy went to a flat earth convention. And if you can find the flat earth convention by this guy, uh, it is by far one of the funniest things ever. And you had all these just characters, let's just say. And, you know, they're singing songs about the earth being flat. And, you know, they're all wearing weird costumes. And this guy has like his BMW, like with stickers and stuff all over it. And, you know, some of these people seem like sane. And then you, they start going into the diatribes about how, you know, the ice wall dams around the, the sphere plane, the spherical or the not sphere the uh the, the the flat circle that we live on are keeping everybody in and you know the, the sun is i don't they have like all these weird explanations for things instead of just saying that this is a dumb theory no no they have to double down and double down and double down and double down and uh, you know my my the one question that i always came up with for the flat earth stuff that okay let's just assume all of your theories are true which i'm you know not not going to do that but let you know for the sake of argument let's assume how does the coriolis effect like fall into your theory like how, how does that like that's a that's a provable thing that like we, we've had to we've had to take into account the spin of the earth and the direction and everything involved or things like long-range artillery and stuff like that going back to the beginning of of, of, of long-range artillery and, and long-range munitions and things in the military right i mean they even taken into some mild amount of effect when you're doing long-range um uh, when you're shooting long-range you know sniper type stuff well you know nobody has a rational explanation for it all they do is they just de- they try and debunk that effect as being a real thing and it has you know whatever and it's just silly i mean it's just you know go, go to the flattest place you can go to and look out at the horizon like you can see the curvature of the earth i think one of the funniest retorts to the flat earth people is like have you ever been in an airplane i have a feeling a lot of these people have never been in an airplane before <laughs> once you get up thirty thousand feet you, the curvature of the earth becomes very visible <laughs> Well, it looks like anything else. If you get enough people to believe it, then it's fact. I mean, um, you know, like, for example, uh, COVID, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But if you get enough people to believe it, then if you object to it, you're, you're going to be hung out to dry. So got to be careful. We, we may need to become flat earthers to survive in the future. Not any different than the fact that just out of curiosity, has pretty much the entire nation opened up? to commerce again or do we have any lockdowns there are no significant lockdowns that i'm aware of there so maybe some like hyper local things or some there are some things going on but i'm not aware of anything so can you infer any possible reason at all any possible reason at all figure out why new york city is still in the process of terminating nypd detectives who refuse to get vaccinated uh something something public safety something something public safety well speaking of public safety if you go to the, the uh website called Hey Jackass. You can uh, get a uh, pretty well ongoing run of all the murders and shootings in Chicago. I want to congratulate Chicago's top police officer. Um, he said that he was very proud of what happened uh, over Memorial Day. They didn't have anywhere near uh, the kind of murders that they uh, they thought. Uh, they, only had 50, they only had 50 people shot in Chicago. Uh, they made 13 arrests. They pulled 11 guns off of people. But uh, yeah, they shot 50, killed nine. And uh, so uh, he, he gave them, he gave 
everybody an A for uh, effort. And um, because they recovered 250 guns, 69% increase uh, over uh, last year. And um, so that, that's, a, that's a success, only 50 people. Yeah, you know, you've got some problems when your measure for success is only 50 people being shot and nine killed. That's... That's something. It really is something. Well, I think we should cut it uh get done with this. What else do you got? Anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, you know, standard standard stuff in the world's going on. You know, idiots are still idiots and um smart people are still doing smart things, regardless of the circumstances in the world. <laughs> you know, as far as what's going on in Ukraine, that seems to be a top conversation, at least uh for the past few of these ep- uh well, I guess since we've since we've been doing this fairly regularly. And uh as expected, at least for me, uh uh, Russians are burning out of targets and equipment. Ukrainians have incre- increasing resolve by the day, and we keep sending them more stuff, but not enough to end it, which is disappointing because, you know, my, my philosophy on it would be to send them everything that they want and more and get, just get it over with because this is a crock of BS. But I love watching the ATVs. They're like a whack-a-mole, like a Bingo. kangaroos running around Ukraine and, and just blowing up all the tanks and it just... Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it is amazing to see these guys hopping all around doing what they're doing. I just love it. Yeah, so it's 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 organized guerrilla warfare. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, the Ukrainians are on the defensive. This is the thing, like a lot of people don't really understand from a strategic standpoint that you know there has to be battle lines and you have to be able to suppress or or repel large masses of troops. But in you know any in any country, there's certain roads and certain geography and terrain features that allow this to happen. And you know just because you can get you know a squad or a couple squads of guys over a mountain or over a, a, an open field or something, you know, in, in, in an opportune time doesn't mean you can get two or three or 5,000 guys, right? So you have to pick your terrain. You know, there's 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 a lot of stuff that, you know, does not come through when you look at your kind of standard analysis on these things um, because people are usually looking at flat maps that don't have any topography. It doesn't show tree, you know, tree density. It doesn't show, you know, a lot of these things. They just they just look at a map and they think, well, why don't they just go through here? It's like, well, dum-dum, did you look at, did you look at the satellite pictures you can look at satellite pictures of anywhere in the world now take a look it's like that's a mountain <laughs> you're not getting tanks over the mountain well in the eastern part of ukraine it's actually kind of interesting because there's a huge amount of terrain um variance i guess and you know you've got some big rivers you've got but you have a lot of uh, uh kind of i wouldn't call them mountains but you know tall hills let's say and valleys so you know you've got a lot of that going on and so there's specific areas where you can only get a you can only get masses of people through and that's what the ukrainians have have prepared for for almost a decade and they're doing a pretty damn good job with a limited amount of people and and a limited number of losses in the grand scheme of things to just make this just the worst war of attrition for the for the russians see i almost said soviets you know it fits i guess you know whatever I, i imagine we'll be calling the soviets again as you have members of their parliament proposing that they change the russian flag with the soviet flag again and to think that people a few months ago said oh they're not trying to put the Soviet Union back together. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they're getting the old gang yeah, back. They are, but in any case, um, you know. So from an actual like warfare perspective, it's hilarious because you get to see what high tech terrorism looks like. <laughs> 
not from like a military, obviously, like, but I'm talking about like we, what we think of as small groups of people sneaking around, you know, evading, you know, the high tech equipment that the Russians obviously have, um, maybe not as in as effective or in the high quantity as they would have liked to make everybody think they had, but, you know, they still have it. I mean, you know, both sides have, you know, thermal imaging capabilities and drones and precision long range missiles, even if the Russian long range missiles are not as precise as everybody thought they were before the war. Um, but, you know, there's serious things to, con- you know, to be concerned with. And then you got, you know, some uh, Ukrainian uh, soft guys or, or the layman, it's special operations forces, um, driving around in, you know, four-wheel drive, little uh, off-road, four-by-four vehicles with, you know, these uh, anti-tank uh, guided big, missiles. Big bazooka. Yeah, yeah, these, these anti-tank guided missiles that they guide in with a little, like, laptop-looking uh, game console, basically. You know, from, is, is I think the maximum range on those things is like five kilometers, so they can be really far away. It's a whole <laughs> new world, my man. It's a whole new world. <laughs> it is. But, you know, the thing is, like, we, we've seen a little bit of this kind of, uh, how effective this kind of warfare can be going back a few years um, in places like Yemen and Syria, where a relatively small number of people have, um, especially when they were given U.S. assistance, um, could, you know, effectively topple governments, pretty significant governments. And I think there was a guy, I can't remember the guy, what the guy's name, he had a funny moniker. And I, as far as I know, he was trying to uh, get the ability to go to Ukraine to fight for the Ukrainians, but he was in, I think, Yemen. And he had like some ridiculous number of anti-tank uh, guided munition kills of tanks and um, other vehicles. I think it was like confirmed at like 40 or 50, you know, just destroying with, uh... anyways, uh, I, th- I think it was in Yemen, but it may have been Syria. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, is just, you know, we've seen little glimmers of like how effective this technology could be if deployed in this, uh, you know, highly mobile, very tactical um, and intelligent kind of um, intelligent use of, of a limited resource. He was the modern Audie Murphy, wasn't he? Yeah, I would say he was. Audie Murphy was an American soldier back in the day. He went on to become an actor, songwriter, and a rancher. And uh, he was one of the most decorated American combat uh, men who have ever served. You get a chance to look him up. Audie, first name, A-U-D-I-E, middle name, Leon, last name, Murphy, conventional spelling. Yeah, so it's interesting because obviously the, there's, there's aspects of this conflict that are turning into a traditional positional war where it's, you know, large amounts of troops fighting each other on uh, fairly agreed upon battle lines, um, particularly in the south and particularly in the east. But then there's this tremendous amount of, of use of, of what you would call irregular units with small squads of guys, like I said, riding around in little uh, small, you know, fairly quiet vehicles, uh, use of drones. Um, Those drones are unbelievable. And, and there's and there's the thing is a lot of these things are homemade yep. or they're made by, you know, basically small shops. And, you know, this is a joke that we, we talked about, you know, going back to the beginning of this is that, you know, if Ukraine actually does collapse from the Russian invasion, obviously we're well beyond that ever being a reality of, or even a possibility. But if that were to happen, like, you know, we were talking about this in like early March, imagine the nightmare that it would be for the Russians to, to wrangle control of this country. Like these people hate, hate the idea of getting back under the thumb of Russia. You know, it's a, it's a country of pretty smart, generally speaking people with a lot of machining and tech, uh, high technology skills and capabilities, machine shops all over the country. Um, you know, this isn't Afghanistan. This isn't Iraq. This is a country of technically capable, uh, highly motivated people that imagine the absolute nightmare that it would be to try to occupy the thing. You know, so, we, you know, we talked about that as like, you know, good luck with that guerrilla warfare. Like, you're not going to have one dude with a roadside bomb every week. You're going to have like one every hour. You know, it's just, it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, if you think Afghanistan was bad for uh, the uh, 
the Russians, and if you think Vietnam was bad for us, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. And instead, that that has been proven, but just in a different context, because these people with these capabilities are using their skills and their resources in support of their own military. So you have things like you know a drone flying around that's dropping uh, anti tank grenades on tanks, and it's like, well, <laughs> didn't you know, didn't there wasn't there a video we watched where the damn thing went through the open hatch and right in? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great video. Yeah, you have some you have some Russians walking around and uh, they have a, a vehicle they stole from a civilian, of course, and they have their big uh, their big Z on it. Um, and yeah, the drone flies by and drops a grenade in like an area in an area right around where a bunch of troops are standing, probably just bullshitting and doing the normal thing you do as a soldier in the middle of a war zone. You hurry up and wait and stand there and wait for something to happen. And somebody gets injured. I think multiple people get injured. So, anyways, they they round everybody up and get into the vehicles and they go to they go to flee. <laughs> And the drone then drops another grenade, and it's the luckiest grenade throw from a drone ever. If that if that's that could be a sport, actually. Um, <laughs> I like that. The grenade falls right into the open sunroof of the vehicle and explodes, and then the vehicle kind of just peters off and smashes into a fence. And yep, that was the end of those four or five guys that were in that vehicle. They're oh, you know they are no more. <laughs> see, now we got to get our buddies in Hollywood, and uh, we got to go and uh, get on Bravo. Uh, that would be a channel we could go to. Drone wars. Drone wars. <laughs> well, they had drone. Fl- uh, yeah, flying contest. Yeah, the racing. Well, Race. this one could be different. This is uh, this would be like a uh, what do you think? It's like uh, the triathlon of drone. Uh, what the Ironman of drone sports? You have to you have to win a race. You have to race. So you get you get different points for different aspects of the competition, right? You race. You have to you have to you have to drop an object with accuracy. Um, I'm liking this all the time. You know, there, there are a whole bunch of things. You oh, know, you, you know, it, combine a couple other little little things. What was that thing? They used to have people. They had all the muscle bound people and they were shooting and, and beating up uh, the contestants and they had to go through like a uh, a, a track. Well, it used to be on TV. They used to have these have stupid no shows. Oh, come on. You know, you you, you swang on a rope. You swang, you swang yeah, on a rope. Yeah, well, that's because I'm from down south here, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, swang on a rope and, and, and you had a, like you had a, gosh. Oh, uh, Ninja Warrior. Ninja okay, <laughs> See, yeah. you knew what I was talking well, you about. you said beating the hell out of people. I'm like, I don't, what, what is this? Like you're going through a gauntlet of people like with Mark martial arts skills. <laughs> Like I got a guy with a dull sword and he's gonna whack you really it's hard. It's Clint Eastwood in the gauntlet, right? No, no okay. that... I, I had a totally different mental image of what that could be. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. yeah, Ninja Warrior. Yeah, Ninja Warrior. So if we need to do that. You do it. Okay. So much for our our friends in Hollywood. Uh, call the Truesdells. Uh, give us a call at two one two four three three twenty five twenty five. We now own uh, Ninja Drone. Drone Drone Warfare. Drone, drone. Ninja Drones. Ninja Drones. Like well, yeah. Okay. So we own it. If you if you do it, we got a copy copyright on it we just thought about it so you know i think it's worth at least a couple million bucks uh for the rights of that don't you think sure But you know, it's it's. But the reality is, you know, you, you put these these weird things in, into into reality, which is what you're seeing there. Um, one, this is obviously going to be the most photographed and videoed war of all time for multiple reasons. One, everybody has a cell phone, and two, it's interesting. But the other thing is, is you know, you're seeing these technological changes uh, happen in real time. Um, you know, the prevalence of of drones, just even for the purposes of basic surveillance and and battlefield observation while something is happening, is huge. Well, that's the amazing thing. You see a guy, he's doing whack-a-mole, off goes a drone, and you see his little tiny dot, and then the next scene is you got the drone overhead, and you see 
the tank blowing up. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a great video of um, some American and British volunteers who are in a unit, and they ambush a tank. I think it's a BMP. So what is a BMP technically? Is it a... It's not... Is it an infantry fighting vehicle, or is it a... Ah, whatever. The, the military super experts would be very mad. But anyways, um, yes, baby tank. Let's call it baby tank. Baby tank gets blown up, um, but they ambush it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because these guys are speaking English. So, you know, mm. from our perspective, we, you know, it's, it's cool. But anyways, the British and American volunteers. And, you know, you see their body cam perspective, which is cool. Um, but then the other thing you see is you see a drone. So they were flying a drone. They got positioned. They were able to get close enough without, you know, getting ambushed by other people or another vehicle or something. You know, it's these types of things that are dramatically changing how wars are going to be fought forever. And, you know, that's why the, you know, the United States Marine Corps is, you know, turning into basically one giant special operations organization. At least that's what their plan is over the next couple of years. That's why all of these changes across modern militaries are happening. You know, huge amounts of investment in technology and drones and um, newer weapon systems to be able to engage people longer distances. And, you know, it's, it's, things are changing dramatically. And all the things that we follow in our military procurement portfolio. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, you look at what's going on with Ukraine in particular with, uh, with deliveries of, of equipment and munitions and things from foreign countries. And the staggering thing to me that I, I, I didn't really have the perspective was how much uh, Soviet either built or designed equipment is in a lot of even NATO countries. It's part of their militaries, um, tanks, infantry fighting vehicles and stuff like that. Um, the leftovers from the days of the Cold War, yeah, and which then, never really ended. Yeah, and a lot of them are modernized, right? So they're not like the pieces of total pieces of junk that they were in, in the Soviet times. But it is interesting that there's a lot of this stuff. And for me, I see countries like Greece saying, hey, we'll send all of this, these modernized, uh, I think, BMPs. We'll send those infantry fighting vehicles to Ukraine. Uh, hey, Germany, uh, can you send us some of the new stuff that you guys are making? NATO standard equipment, please, uh, for a nice little discount because we're helping out... Uh, friends yeah great you got stuff like that happening all over the place so for me from my perspective uh, as far as military procurement goes the effectiveness of nato equipment and the force multiplier that it actually has over this just atrocious soviet equipment um the military procurement going forward is just going to be staggering will it show up in the uh you know the company returns yeah they will will it be overnight no but it's a good long-term bet in my view because like the the expenditures are there i mean you know you you don't have countries like, what is it, uh, Germany, just double their military budget and then decide to spend an extra $100 billion on modernization. Japan just recently increased their military budget within the past year to, uh, what is it, around $50 billion, which is a significant amount given that everybody's afraid of Japan, you know, doing doing imperialism again. Um, but, you know, $50 billion is a lot of money. It's like 1% of their GDP, roughly. Um, it buys a lot of military stuff. I mean, for example, Russia, their military budget in recent years has been about 50 to 60 billion somewhere in there so it's a lot you know it, it would put them in top five i think for military expenditures by country and they're debating on what exact number they're going to decide on but their goal for this next year is to double that to two percent of gdp or approximately a hundred billion dollars so now you have western or western aligned militaries that are heavily investing in military because they've realized they've rested on their laurels for too long because oh the cold war is over there's no there's nothing to worry about well you got, you got rising china and russia's got psychotic crazy man ambitions. I think my brother had the, the absolute funniest perspective. He said, yeah, Russia is, uh, is like, as far as like their military capabilities and their grandiosity, they're, they're like Ethiopia with nuclear weapons. <laughs> that was, it was kind of funny because it was like, yeah, an implementation. It's like, yeah, just give Ethiopia a lot of people. And funnily enough, 
they used Soviet standard military equipment. So if it wasn't for the obvious differences in the uh, uh, ethnic populations, it would become very obvious. It becomes the, the you take that one thing away, I would say it would be pretty hard to see exactly what these, uh, these people are, how they differentiate in their their military capabilities. And and obviously that number really comes into corruption, or that observation comes in, really comes into corruption. Um, tremendous amounts of corruption. Um, I, I think he made that comment after there was a hilarious article that came out that apparently. Uh, a high-ranking Russian general uh, was almost killed by his own people because they were he was ordering them to the front and I think it was the artillery men got, got mad about the situation. They threatened to shell the command center where all the staff was. Like, wow. I, I think that's how he responded to it. It was like, yeah, that sounds like something that would happen in a third-world military for sure. Bingo. Uh, just out of curiosity, would you be willing to take a few phone calls from uh, prospective clients to uh, discuss the military procurement uh, portfolio? Sure. What number do they call? 212, what is it? 212-433-25. What's that number again? 212-433-2525. And you can share some information about what we have there, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, just curious. Uh, you know, you were talking about all the different topography and people don't realize things. And I, and I mean this very sincerely because it's been several decades now. Do you remember when we bought the ranch in Idaho? Yeah, of course. Okay. Do you remember the picture of your sister and your brother and you? We have that great picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the background is a sawtooth. And, sure. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember when we, we were at the very peak of, the, of our property and I I believe it's about a mile to the road. We have all that. And then the, the main road, was it like five miles down? I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say it's like 40, but whatever. Do you remember when we, tur- we looked around and we saw all the uh, um, all the deer and the antelope and all that? And the, Were you there with us when we were doing it? I don't know if you were at the hotel or if your mom and I were there. But you yeah, me- doesn't, doesn't ring sure a bell? I'm pretty sure you I would remember, remember that. that. But do you remember when we got to the top of the, I know you've been there. Remember when we got to the top of the property, you know, on the way in the back there, and then we realized, holy crap, we back up on Bureau of land management property and we had unlimited access to it so we had like gazaba land that was just cool right yeah, absolutely and it was like i mean as far as you could see right the valley was as oh, far yeah. as you could yeah, see yeah. but all the mountains and all the you know we were on a peak there's no way we could sit there with one of these whack-a-mole things and we could shoot anybody with the technology we got today you'll yeah. never take you'll never take the sawtooth and, and you know what's hilarious is that technology was available back then yeah because things have changed and at the same time they they haven't changed a lot so what's that phrase the more things change the more they stay the same like you know there is an aspect of that to all this it's quite funny yeah, all all the technology in the world doesn't negate the fact that you basically can go into the mountains and hide you know the toro toro Bora is not the only place out there where there's big mountains yeah i was having a kind of like a perspective analysis i guess on you know how how different things are because you know a lot of people are like well you know the russians you know they yeah i guess a lot of people are coming to terms with the reality that the russian military is not as amazing as everybody has been, you know, brought to think it is or it was. But it's funny to put things into perspective of, you know, yeah, the U.S. military has its deficiencies and it has, you know, we've got our problems like everybody else. But let's put things into perspective. We don't have the corruption. We well, but but aside from all that, like let, let's but put it into serious, like like we've all experienced it. Perspective: the U.S. military can deploy tens of thousands of people to a landlocked, mountainous slash desert country on literally the other side of the world and spend a decade and then another decade, two decades there, just hanging out, achieving nothing, but trying to do good into the day failing, and then leave, waste trillions of dollars doing so. And a year after that has con- has con- concluded, right? As we got out at the beginning of last year, is that something, something like that? Um, no, Nobody really cares. I mean, yeah, everybody's sad about the people that got injured and got killed over there and those sorts, those sorts of wounds 
obviously will will never heal. But, you know, aside from those things, eh, well, what's a couple trillion dollars? Eh, you know, our military, at least we got a lot of good combat experience and we got to learn a lot of lessons and how to fight in that kind of terrain. And we got to really, really, uh, without losing perspective on the real threats in the world, we got to test out equipment and guys got good combat experience. And Sadly, you have to think like that. And, you know, we figured out, you know, how can you run a 20-year war on the other side of the planet, like logistically, and how does that work? And the geopolitics involved and the intelligence, how do you, you know, all that stuff that goes into it, right? And, you know, what I, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, you know, lose, um, statistically, it's not a big deal, but, you know, obviously on an individual basis, it's, it sucks. But, you know, you have a couple thousand people that are killed. Okay, whatever. You know, if you're a, a state manager perspective, obviously, you know, again, any individual loss sucks, but, you know, pretty good given the number of years and how much stuff went on over there. Yeah, to all of you who have lost people in any war or any kind of situation, we're not making light of your loss or the loss of your loved ones, those of you who are living with injuries, both physical, emotional, intellectual, financial, we get it. But when it comes to hardcore numbers, it's uh, everybody's a stat and uh, the world will continue without you, me and everybody else. So just understand we're looking at it from a statistical standpoint. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm you know, you're looking at it from a perspective of, uh, you know, the managerial class, right? Exactly. Um, you know, we can do this in hindsight, ridiculous thing and lose a couple thousand people and whatever. And we, we leave it on an amicable terms for the most part. I mean, you know, we didn't get slaughtered leaving the place. I mean, a few people died and that sucks, but you know, whatever. And, and the best part is, is the people that are taking over as we're leaving. Yeah. They're actually the people that we've been killing for the past 20 years. And even they're like, yeah, it's fine. Just like, just leave like, please. <laughs> yeah. We've got some loons here and we're going to take care of them. Whatever. You know, pretty, pretty, like I said, pretty amicable type situation, uh, given the circumstances. Meanwhile, the Russians are prosecuting a war for the most part within hundred to 150 kilometers of their own territorial borders. And they've lost almost 40% of their combat effective troops in three months. And their economy in the short term is doing fine because of the measures and reserves and things that they have in place. But as we advance towards month four, five, six, seven, eight of this conflict, yeah, their economy is going to just implode. We just like water off a duck's back, just kind of wipe the water off and keep on moving. <laughs> These guys are going to, they're going to implode. I mean, they made a, one of the grandest strategic failure. They made a decision and they, they are now going to endure one of the most grand strategic failures. You know, oh. an aspiring empire has ever, has made in modern times. I mean, this type of failure can only be compared with, oh, it's, hum- it's humiliating. I mean, in recent times, the only thing that compares is, is, is our just utter destruction of, of Iraq. And it's funny because it's how that conflict is actually more relevant every day. I mean, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or if it's just been one-on-one. It's hard to keep those straight sometimes. But, you know, I, I coincidentally got some interest in looking into the first Gulf War and all this st- uh, before all this started at the beginning of the year. You know, not a lot was going on. And I was like, eh, you know, I've, I've, I've read a lot of things about it, but how did it work? And I found some really cool YouTube videos where a guy went through like the actual battle plan and how it how it laid out. And I think we watched a couple of those and it was from the air pers- air campaign to the ground campaign and like how all of that went. And given the circumstances, considering all the tremendous amount of weaponry, Soviet weaponry that the Iraqis had, and they, they had a, a huge army and air defense capabilities and, you know, a, a significant amount of, of, of equipment and capabilities. And, you know, the reality is, is in six and a half or seven weeks, we wiped the floor with them. And what, six of those weeks were the air campaign. The ground campaign lasted, uh, I think, what, four or five days. Yep. And yeah, no, that, that wasn't, that was a joke. Well, it wasn't a joke. It I was mean, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we lost a lot of planes and, you know, we, 
uh, but the number of our soldiers that we lost due to even even when you count all casualties is honestly pathetic by comparison. Now, how I mean, many of the Russians do you think legitimately have lost not just combat injuries and deaths? What do you think the death rate right now is? Well, I mean, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Ukrainians have, have gone and done this kind of like radical honesty thing where they're just telling everybody the realities of the situation. They're not sugarcoating it because they don't want people, they, they don't want to be viewed as liars and they don't want to be viewed as deceivers to their own people. You know, it's, it's a being honest with them is, is, a, is a good trait. Grant, granted, they can't tell them everything due to operational security, but when they can tell them things, they do. And they've been pretty upfront with since the very beginning the, about the Russian casualties. And it's at about 30,000 now. And how many people did we, uh, how many soldiers did we lose in Vietnam? It's somewhere around 60,000. So they've lost about half as many as we lost in Vietnam in that entire war. Three months versus nine years. And just to give you context, I'll give you context to make you really think about it. There was a fellow man of Richard J. Daly. He became mayor of Chicago in 1955, followed by Michael Belendick, Jane Bryan, Harold Washington, Eugene Sawyer, and then his son, Richard M. Daly, Rahm Emanuel, and now uh, Beetlejuice, Lori Lightfoot. And in uh, those years, uh, Chicago's lost over 40,000 people to murder. So when you talk about statistics, you got to put it in perspective. Yeah. Perspective is important. And then, you know, to put it into the... Where, where's the outrage? Yeah, I mean, and, and so, you know, as far as like the first Gulf War stuff goes, it was amazingly coincidental because that informed a lot of my thinking. Russian military equipment is, has advanced since the first Gulf War, but not as much as people would think because even the U.S. military hasn't advanced as much as people would think in that time period. Yeah, technology advances and stuff, but the tactics and, you know, generally speaking, like, you know, it's, it's this expensive, extremely expensive as far as training and then cost, you know, actual, you know, uh, equipment and, and stuff investments um you know it, it's a long-term play so a lot of these systems are still in use by everybody um it was a the first gulf war is a very foreboding um example of what nate what the what the power of nato would have done to a, a legitimate soviet in a legitimate soviet combat engagement yeah. at least in that time period in the late 80s like well, it would have been it, much higher casualties obviously for nato you know in the united states because you're going to be fighting people who are going to likely fight harder you're going to have a more in more depth of equipment and things like that but at the end of the day you know I, I suspect the ratios would be similar now for the ukrainians you know to put a little you know word of warning to that that you know we don't know what the ukrainian casualties are we do know that civilian casualties for ukraine are probably anywhere as high as a hundred thousand the russians have been slaughtering civilians and they still are to this day i mean they're where's the outrage i mean no i mean i mean it, it's it's awful i mean like i i have i have several people i know in Tampa that I no longer associate with because they, they say the Ukrainians are getting everything they deserve. I just can't handle oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah, you see that stuff. I can't handle that. It's atrocious. And, you know, in, in the 100,000 number, I mean, is probably a low ball to be totally honest. I mean, there's it's probably higher. And that is comes on top of, you know, millions of people displaced. You know, hundreds of thousands of people that have kid, been kidnapped and sent to, you know, literal, like, work camps inside of Russia. They have uh, the Ukrainian intelligence, which obviously has infiltrated Russia as bad, as thoroughly as we have obviously um you know they they have hundreds of what they call like uh i can't remember the name of it but ba basically it's like sorting facilities where they bring you in they try and figure out like uh, you know how best to deal with you and how best to to utilize you as a as a resource and you know the reality is, is when people say oh the soviet union is not coming back together well, well please explain to me when it ended because the more i learn about russia modern russia and the transition out of you know the ussr as an entity and into the soviet and <laughs> out of the soviet union and into uh, the modern Russian Federation.
question. I can't tell where it begins and ends. All it was was a modern uh, mafia uh, bankruptcy, and yeah. we and we wound up uh, funding them again. Yeah, and, and my, you know, remember you 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 remember Grandpa? You remember my dad? Just as, what did he say? We should have gone in there after World War One. What did he talk about China? He said World War II. I'm sorry, I said World War One. He used to say World War One. Yeah, I mean, we should have actually backed up the White Resistance Army. That as I'm learning, you know, more the more stuff I learn. Oh, where where were they headquartered? Oh yeah, in Ukraine. That was the biggest area of resistance against the, against the so, uh, Bolsheviks. And uh, why were they so thoroughly um, uh, genocided by the Soviets time and time again through, while they were under Soviet occupation? Oh, it's because they resisted the rule of the Soviets harder than almost anybody else in, in the Soviet bloc. I'm going to make a note and I'm going to, in one of these uh, podcasts, I'm going to talk about Uncle Walt. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a great a story, story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's just the, the, the context and the history and, and these places matters. And, and unfortunately you have a lot of people and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's abundant in the United States. You know, you have a city like, like Kiev and uh, you know, the city's 1500 years old. 1500. Yeah. I mean, they probably have like, you know, like bakeries and stuff that are older than this country, at least, you know, officially, you know, like, please, you people have no idea what that means to somebody's like psyche. That's under attack. So, you know, a lot of people make offhand comments because they're just, they're not tied to the land like they are over there. And if you know that, you know, like a good example is like people who live in Odessa. I've mentioned this a few times. You know, it's, a, it's a truly ancient city. Um, you know, the city of Odessa proper, sure, it's, you know, probably meandered a little bit and whatever. But, you know, the, the Greeks settled that area somewhere around 25, 2600 years ago. It was the, as far as I know, like the one of the northernmost outposts uh, of, of Greek settlements in, in, the, in the Black Sea. And it's been a it's been a uh, consistently inhabited area um, for that long, at least. I mean, the, the culture there is, is tremendous. And the, the history there is tremendous because, believe it or not, people wrote it down. And it's interesting. You know? Interesting how some civilizations write things down. Others can't seem to even make a pencil. Yeah. But anyways, you know, it's, you can talk about this stuff forever. But point is, is just uh, context matters in a lot of these things. And, you know, it's funny because you have a lot of uh, Western leaders trying to find the out on the Ukraine problem because it's causing lots of economic issues and, and stuff. You know, it's amplifying the gas shortage that we would have been having anyways and all kinds of stuff. And it's funny because they're, they've got themselves really in a bind because there's no way out. Like, you have a people that are going to fight to the death. Do you want to, like, be the ones that left them out to dry? Well, no, nobody wants to do that. So they're forced to be in a position where they support them because of their own personal because of their own dedication to getting out of this problem. And uh, it's it's been quite funny to have responses to people like Henry Kissinger, which oh, don't even start. We, we could have talked about, and we'll we'll talk more about that. Um, Henry Kissinger uh, and Uncle Walt next time. Yeah, what do you think? Henry Kissinger. What, 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 what can you say? Well, it's more like, what can't you say? But anyways, um, you know, when, when you've got Ukrainian government officials basically saying, you know, F you to people that suggest that they should get cede territory, um, you know, it's, it's inspiring. It's, you know, to, to the people who, who have a, a an image of America that is uh, in a lot of cases long since gone as the kind of rebellion middle finger to the uh, you know the, the empires of, of old um, it is definitely kind of it, it is definitely inspiring given a given that they are this old at least as a civilization and a culture they still have this kind of angry independence I guess you'd call it. Well, we began with a song. I think I'll end with a song. I think I'll do something like this. How drunk I am, how dead I'll be. I'm a Russian up a tree. If I come down, they will kill me. If I stay up high, they'll drone my... Ooh, maybe we shouldn't do that. We're out of here. 
Paul Truesdale podcast is sponsored in part by Fixed Cost Financial, a registered investment advisor. Fixed Cost Financial, where investing is done right. Visit FixedCostFinancial.com, that's FixedCostFinancial.com. The Paul Truesdale podcast is also sponsored in part by Lie Today. Intelligently protecting your most precious assets. Visit LiDie.today, that's LiDie.today, you'll be glad you did. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is also sponsored in part by the estate planning, elder law, and asset protection planning law firm of attorney Kelly and Truesdale. Visit Truesdale.net, that's Truesdale.net for more information. The Paul Truesdale Podcast website is paultruesdale.com, that's paultruesdale.com.